The story that I have to share with you today has some little props. And so if we have any children or other folks who would like to sit on the floor in front and see better, you're welcome to come forward now if you'd like to. Yeah, come on up. Don't, don't worry. It's totally safe up here on the floor. It's just maybe not as comfortable as a chair. Well, our story starts with this prop. Oh, excellent. It's a star. The star is our first reminder. Did you know that you are stardust? Everyone is, actually. Every tiny little atom in your body, would you like to hold our star? Every tiny little atom in our bodies used to be part of a star that exploded a long, long time ago. We start off life as a single cell, and so does all the other life on Earth, too. Like this thing. Disclaimer, I'm not sure this is, you know, plastic animals aren't always all that correctly formed. I'm not sure what species this is supposed to be. What do you think it is? Whale shark? Yeah, I'm hearing agreement on a whale shark. We're going to say it is a whale shark. Did you know that you used to swim in salty seas just as salty as this whale shark does? Did you know that? In fact, you swam in the salty womb of your mother. And now you still have salt in your veins, in your sweat, and in your tears. The salty ocean inside each of us is just as salty as the ocean for the whale shark. I'm going to give you a whale shark, Melissa. All right, what's this? what's this creature? Again, possibly not quite correct. Some kind of dinosaur. I, I think that the toy maker didn't quite form an actual species, but it's some kind of dinosaur. Well, here's an interesting thing to think about. When you drink a glass of water, it's the same water that a dinosaur may have drunk millions of years ago from a puddle. The water goes from land to sky to ocean, back around and around, and it's been quenching thirst for millions of years. All right, you want to hold on to a dinosaur? <laughs> okay. All right, here's another one for us. This is a flower. Pause for a minute and let's breathe. Breathe in and breathe out. Our breath connects us to all the other living things on Earth. In fact, the whole Earth is breathing. We're all breathing together. And our breath and the flower's breath, it's all connected. I'm going to give you a flower. Okay. And... There is inside your brain electricity more powerful than lightning powering your thoughts. And when you sneeze, if you sneeze hard, it could have as much force as a tornado. Yeah. Hard sneezes. Want some lightning? In fact, we're connected with all other things in other ways. Because we grow 
a little bit more at night as we're resting, so do all the other animals. And we might even tend to grow more in the spring and summer, just like the plants in our garden. And then we all shed in the fall like the trees do. Our hair tends to fall out more in the fall and save its thickest growth for the deeps of winter. Yeah, here's a leaf. You want a leaf? Your body is changing all the time. The cells in your stomach, you get a new lining every three days. By the time you're 10 years old, you'll have gotten new skin 100 times. Just like a forest where new trees grow where the old ones used to be, our skeletons change throughout our life and regrow. In fact, if we were a planet, we would be a lot like planet Earth. Planet Earth has the, the rainforests and the land and the algae and the sea. Those are like its lungs. And just like planet Earth, all of us, from the top of our head to the bottom of our toes, inside and outside, are covered in millions of teeny microorganisms living on us. Yeah, we are just like a planet. You know how to be a good friend? And so do so many other creatures. Did you know that bats and sperm whales will ask their friends to babysit for them? And elephants will be buddies for life? You, me, all of us, all life on Earth. We are all connected. We are all nature. We are all stardust. The first reading today is titled, When We Breathe by Ian Richardson. This is the blessing we cannot speak by ourselves. This is the blessing we cannot summon by our own devices, cannot shape to our own purposes, cannot bend to our own will. This is the blessing that comes when we leave behind our aloneness, when we gather together, when we turn toward one another. This is the blessing that blazes among us when we speak the words strange to our ears, when we finally listen into the chaos, when we breathe together at last. Our second reading this morning is a selection from the book An Ethic of Feminist Risk by my professor, Dr. Sharon Welch. This love for others is holy and is rightly referred to as grace a power that lifts us to a larger self and a deeper joy as it leads us to accept blame and begin the long process of reparation and recreation. Grace brings joy, not shame, the finding of self in larger community. Grace is not the opposite of works. It is the gift of being loved and loving that enables work for justice. The connotations of grace are many, and there are many that I want to affirm. Grace is a power or an intensity of relationship that is more than we can predict or produce solely of our own volition. This surplus connotated by grace, the deep joy of loving and being loved, the amazing changes possible in people's lives, is sometimes interpreted as a gift from the outside, grace being the gift of a force or person grace as the gift of God or goddesses. I would argue that grace is not the manifestation of the divine in our lives, 
the gift of a separate or foundational being, but that grace is all there is or need be to be divine. Amen. I'd like to begin my time with you here today sharing a bit of wisdom my soon-to-be 11-year-old dropped on me the other day. She said, it's tough being me sometimes, but it's always awesome being us. That's it. That's the sermon. I think if you take what Anna and Paul said and, the, and the, the, what was shared in the, in the book today, it's tough to be me sometimes, but it's always awesome to be us. Hello, everyone. I'm very happy to be with you back here in Olympia today. I think this is my third time visiting this community. Um, I'm always so impressed with the warmth of welcoming I've received each time I've been a visitor here. Each of the individuals that helps with the worship welcomes my contributions and makes sure I have as much information as possible so that I can feel comfortable, so that I can then hopefully contribute to an enriching and spiritually grounding worship service here this Sunday morning. Ever since I've started coming here, I've been in seminary. As some of you may have heard from my bio, I still am in seminary. <laughs> Formation in the Unitarian Universalist faith takes a long, long time. But just last month, prior to graduating, I passed an even larger milestone on my journey. I went before the Ministerial Formation Committee, or the MFC, which among other things is the group that the Unitarian Universalist Association charges with vetting ministerial candidates to determine if they are ready to be ordained by a congregation. I'm happy to report that the panel that vetted me, that reviewed the 125-page packet that I had to submit and then questioned me for what seemed like hours but was probably less than two, I'm happy to report that that panel looked like the United Nations. <laughs> there was a beautiful diversity in that group that was reviewing my candidacy and my readiness to uh, be a leader in this faith. I'm also happy to report that one of the major benefits of this increased diversity of the panels, it seems, is that the focus of the MFC has shifted. It's become less about reciting back facts and concepts and applying historical connections to modern day thoughts and sensibilities. The focus has really shifted to the importance of practicing radical inclusion in our communities. I believe that it was not the work that I did. It was not the books I read or the papers I wrote or the answers that I gave the committee. It was the relationships that I strove to develop during my formation, both within the ministerial community and in all of the communities I was given the opportunity to serve along the way. I'm honored to have been welcomed into leadership in the community of this faith, not because it was hard, I'm honored because the process has changed to prioritize the ability to form relationships amongst diverse individuals and communities over just about all else. Because that is what our society needs more today than just about anything else. We need each other. And so with that, my message turns from me right to where it should be, back to you. The Soul Matters themes many UU churches are examining this month is belonging. What does it mean to be a community of belonging? 
what kind of community do you want to belong to? Each person walks or comes through those doors each Sunday, comes seeking something. What need is it that you come to this community looking to have fulfilled? Is it inspiration? Is it hope? Is it safety? Maybe it's connection. Any of these things I listed, inspiration, hope, safety, connection, and so many other higher level human needs, they can be found in a place like this, and they are multiplied by action. If this voluntarily gathered community is to have any possibility of delivering these larger human needs that we are each here seeking to fulfill, the question becomes, what is it that we each need to do? These times that we're living in. Whatever needs you come here seeking today are probably sorely needed in this day and age. The challenges we face today are a direct result of the systems that emerged over the past several hundred years, primarily through colonialism and a theology grounded in dominion over relationship with. Capitalism, unfortunately, is a system of I, not necessarily we. Capitalism hides the interconnected web. We still rely on it, but it has become almost completely invisible. There were a hundred people involved in making and delivering and caring for the sweater that I'm wearing this morning. The cotton had to be grown, it had to be made, it had to be transported, it had to be marketed, it had to be put on the shelf. Somebody had to make the washing machine that I used to clean it. Somebody had to make the soap. Somebody had to plumb my apartment. Until very, very, very recently in human history, I would have known every one of the people that helped me get what I needed to survive. I could trace their very survival and any comfort that I had right back to the exact person that was providing one of those services that I was relying upon. Capitalism, for whatever good it has, has also completely masked these connections. And as a result, as a society, we've lost the concept of community almost entirely. Every major shift in theology, Christian, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, each of these emerged in response to major shifts in the society at the time when their seeds were being planted. We are in one of those rapidly shifting times today. Why wouldn't Unitarian Universalism provide the grounding of a new theology that leads society forward? To save ourselves and to do our part to heal this fractured world, we need to continually strive to become what would look to those outside of our faiths as a radically inviting community. Because to do that today would be simply to do what throughout human history was just thought of as being part of community. Our faith consistently reminds us that there is no us, there is only we. That's why this year's General Assembly, the Gathering of Unitarian Universalists each year in Spokane, the theme was the power of we because there are powerful forces conspiring to separate us and take away all of our power. And I am here to remind us that there is no greater power in the world than the power of we. 
together, there seriously is no challenge too great for us to overcome. To be we today is actually countercultural. Everything is set up to separate us. We're all so busy, we have no time. If we do have a small window of time available, we either use it to catch up on things we're behind on or to rest to try to catch our breath for the next day's sprint. Who could possibly have time to invest in developing a meaningful relationship with their neighbor in a world that is humming along at that speed? So it begs the question, what can we do? A good first step in any journey is to figure out where you're going, think about why you want to go there, and think about what you hope you'll find when you arrive. So let's take a moment together thinking about that for ourselves. And if I should take a deep breath, close your eyes if that feels comfortable. I invite you to place your hands together in your laps again if that feels comfortable. And as we find our quiet center, let's ask ourselves this question and see what emerges from the silence. What need or needs do I come here to try to fulfill? Does everybody have something? Don't worry if you don't have it yet. I'll help you along for the next part because there's, there's a second part. But if you don't have something, keep thinking and, and I'll give you an out if you need. This next part may feel a little bit new. I was invited and reminded by the Ministerial Formation Committee to try to bring embodiment and, and to, try to, to try to create movement and try to create, um, to try to push a lot of the work into and out to the communities that I meet with. So this next part invites you to make a connection with someone else here in the sanctuary. Perhaps someone sitting next to you, but it doesn't have to be, because I know people like to move around as well. As with all activities of this sort, participation is always optional. If after I describe the activity I'm going to invite, if it doesn't feel like something you'd like to participate in, or even if it's just that you're still thinking and aren't sure you're quite ready to share yet, that's fine too. If you're not ready to participate for any reason at all, I would invite you to communicate to those around you when I invite participation by simply continuing to sit facing forward with your hands on your lap. That will indicate to those sitting around you that you're still thinking about your answer and you'd prefer some more quiet time to reflect before you're ready to share. But if you would like to consider participating in this next exercise, begin to think about whom around you you'd like to partner up with and when you begin conversing with whomever you're going to chat with, I would invite one of you to consider the need you identified just a moment ago during that quiet reflection and share that need with your neighbor in the form of a very simple and direct question. So what I mean, introduce yourself, hello, my name is. I'm wondering, do you know where I might find whatever that thing is that you're looking for? Do you know where I might find that thing in this community? So for example, if the thing I determined I came to church for looking for this week or most weeks was joy, my question might sound something like this. Hello, my name is Matt. I'm wondering, do you know where I might find joy in this community? 
So remember I told you you'd get an opt-out if you, if you couldn't think of something. Um, if you weren't able to think of anything but you want to participate, use joy. Use, use something like that. I look for connection. I look for joy. I look for happiness. My name is Matt. I came here looking for joy. Try that. See what happens. Or bring whatever you came up with. All right, so go ahead now. Let's do that. Find a neighbor, decide who's going to go first, and ask the question, do you know where I can find what I'm looking for here in this community? Well, that was a very lively discussion. <laughs> I can't wait to hear from some of you um, how those conversations went after the service. I talked earlier about the importance of action and moving things forward. To that end, I have a couple of suggestions for ways you might create some action towards finding even more of the stuff that you have identified and shared that you come here looking for. First recommendation is for those of you who expressed a need that your partner couldn't specifically say where they might point you to find what you're looking for. Maybe the person you met with is new, maybe they've been away for a while and, and don't really know how things work here now. Um, if you had that experience, I would invite one or both of you to seek out the answer to your question from someone else you meet after service here. Show of hands, who has been a part of this church community for over three years? Just as I suspected, if your hand's not up, you have a lot of people that you could, you could reach out to to find that answer you're looking for. Okay. Now here comes the big step for everybody. Whatever answers you found or find from additional conversations, is there a specific step that you can take to connect with the resource you've now identified or to deepen your connection or deepen your commitment to that might help you fulfill the need you identified that you just said you are coming here looking for. Maybe you said you're looking for a place where you can make a small contribution to the community. And someone recommended you might consider helping with the coffee cleanup once a month or something like that. I'm sure they'd love the help. Or maybe you said you're ready to explore your spirituality a bit more. And someone you spoke with gives you a lead to a meditation group that is just starting up. Why not add that to your calendar? This is the true power and beauty available within a beloved community such as this. Seek and you shall find. Offer and your offer shall be found by those in need. And take care of others when they have needs and they will take care of you when you are the one that has the need. Now I wanna make sure that this is inclusive for everybody. What can you do if you feel you just don't have anything you could possibly give. If you're in that space in your life right now where all you can think realistically to do is ask for help, that's just fine. Don't be afraid to ask for the help you need. There are many here that probably have resources and would be likely and happy to lend a helping hand. So if you feel that you have nothing to give, perhaps you could at least offer a little prayer or even just a small wish for this community, for all of us. 
Say a prayer that we will always remember to turn towards each other for support and for shelter and for comfort and for sustenance whenever things are hard, which they often can be. Because in sharing our abundance, however much or little that it may feel like we have to share right now, by sharing anything of ourselves that we can when we have it, we build community with our neighbors. And this community is then in place to share its abundance when we are in need, which each of us surely will be, if not now, then at one day in the future. Caring for each other. This needs to be the commitment of everyone in this room, and I sense that it is very much the commitment of everyone in this room already. Even if you have a team here, as many churches do, that responds when it is learned that someone has encountered a hardship and could use some additional support, that team should just be the safety net that ensures rapid targeted response in those situations. But there are so many in this community I know for whom daily life is not a crisis, but it is lonely or it's just difficult. Commit to visit to your neighbors, not just for their benefit, do it for your own sense of hope and salvation. I can guarantee almost anything that you articulated that you came looking for, you will find it in those connections. My professor, Dr. Sharon Welch, in her book, Feminist Ethic of Risk, reminds us that cynicism is not a product of isolation, for knowing others' suffering includes knowing their courage and liveliness as well as their pain. I've always found in my visits to the sick and the marginalized among us that it is their resilience that inspires me far more than any support my offers of assistance may or may not provide to them. Helping someone whose needs appear greater than your own will always serve to remind us of our abundance. And it is from abundance, not scarcity, that a bountiful future can emerge. As strong as this community is, it will not be here to do the good work that it does if new folks are not invited into the fold. If you have found comfort or salvation here, it should be an implied imperative that part of your work is to invite others into the safety and comfort available within this community. It is the message of fear and isolation that has led to the worst of our human impulses to be gaining political momentum, not just in this country, but around the world. These are the areas that need the message of our faith. We come together each week to be reminded that we are not alone. And that ultimately is the message of belonging that I wanted to bring to you this morning. In an age and in a society where we are all being driven apart and we are all longing more than ever to simply belong, it is through intentional actions designed to bring us closer together taken by each and every member of this community, each and every day, that offers the potential for our collective salvation. And that, my friends, is the world that I am longing to be a part of and to leave behind for my daughter and all the generations to come long after I am gone. It's tough to be me sometimes, but it's always awesome to be us. Amen.